Welcome to the Iowa Idea Podcast. Join host Matt Arnold for in-depth conversations with artists, designers, entrepreneurs, and civic leaders as he explores how they approach their craft and represent a modern version of the Iowa Idea. This podcast tells the stories of Iowa natives, transplants, and friends who demonstrate the Iowa Idea in the 21st century. Worry less about the label. In this episode of the Iowa Idea Podcast, I'm joined by Nina Lohman. Nina is a writer, editor, publisher, and community builder. Her writing explores how the lived experience of chronic pain can be understood through medicine, theology, and philosophy. She's a founder and publisher of Brink, a literary journal dedicated to the hybrid cross-genre work of creatives who tend to reside outside traditional artistic disciplines. She's the nonfiction editor at Prompt Press, a book arts journal that pairs writers and visual artists to create new work. Nina is passionate about placemaking and community building. She serves on the board of directors for the Iowa City Downtown District, Film Scene, The James Gang, and the Iowa City Downtown Arts Alliance. She proudly worked on the Strengthen, Grow, Evolve campaign led by the Englert Theater and Film Scene to ensure Iowa City's standing as the greatest small city for the arts. We dig into Nina's journey as a creative, her work exploring the lived experience of pain, and her latest creative project, Brink. Brink focuses on hybrid cross-genre work for both emerging and established creatives who often reside outside traditional artistic disciplines by providing space primed to investigate new ideas. Brink fosters dialogue and collaborative community across disciplines and cultural divides. We explore the convergence of medicine, theology, and philosophy, and the unshareability of pain. I really appreciated Nina's approach to make creative space for those that don't fit cleanly into a particular genre. And our conversation touched upon the importance of creative collaboration and support, as well as the importance of being intentional about the community where you choose to live. It was a pleasure having Nina join me on the podcast. I hope you enjoy the episode. Nina, thanks so much for joining me on the Iowa Idea podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. If you don't mind for our guests, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So I'm Nina, as you said, and I'm a creative, which right now for me means that I pursue creativity in lots of different forms. I'm a writer and an editor and the publisher of Brink Literary Journal. Great. Thank you. Where did your interests uh, in creativity start? Do you, is that, I mean, because there's so many different areas, but do you remember kind of what really started to pull you or draw you towards more creative acts? You know, it's always been there. Um, one story I'll tell you that I think really typifies this is in high school, I remember being given um, an assignment to do a book report. And um, for some reason, even though I love reading and I, I really like writing and I'm fairly okay at it, I, uh, I didn't want to just write a book report. And so um, I like made up a 
book and like made up a publisher and I like went into this whole backstory of how I found this book and then I like I submitted it and I got an I got a grade on it and like I which is this I think a way of showing that every once in a while I feel like when I'm told to go left I'm like but what's over on the right like let's go see what's over there um and so I think I've always been drawn to creativity and drawn to this idea of knowing and being um, exposed to different ways of understanding something. And I'm, I'm interested in that. I like, I like trying new things. Um, risk is hard and it can be challenging, but um, I've, I've done it enough to see that there's usually reward on the other side. And that's enough of a, a self-feeding cycle for me. <laughs> I I love I love the idea of a high schooler pretty much doing world building on for a book report. Yeah, yeah, and I I'm really good at making things harder for myself than they need to be. So like I should have just, you know, like read Gatsby and like been done with it, but no, I had to I had to go the other way. Yeah, you didn't you didn't want to just talk about red lights or green lights. You had to to build a whole a whole new world. They did, did exactly. That's uh, that's great. Um, so you, um, as you described yourself too, as a creative and uh, a few different uh, labels, and I hesitate saying label because I know we want to dig into genres and uh, and the constraints and enablers between labels. But uh, you know, as writer, as publisher, as editor. Do you mind talking about a little bit about how those roles are are different? Absolutely. That's a great question because I often think about how they're so similar and how uh, my work really bleeds a lot between the things that I do. Um, writing for me, uh, it's 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 how I go from inside to outside in my world. It's how I really. Um, help to tease out those lines between who I am and who the world thinks I am or the world that I'm experiencing. I kind of know who I am and know this world a little bit better um, through the process of writing. Specifically, I write a lot about the experience of pain, um, chronic physical pain through um, the lens of medicine and theology and philosophy. And pain is something that I've had in my life for a little over a decade. And um, so it's something that I try to um, I try to find truth inside of that and um, try to find my experience inside of it. So writing, writing affords me the chance to do that. Um, so I think, I think the writing is, um, is as close as it, as those identities get. It's the closest one to me. Um, and it has been for, for my whole life um, as an editor and as a publisher, I think that my, my work and my interest and really my, my passion for doing those two roles um, is to equip others and to create space um, for other creatives that um, I think often like me, and I think we'll get into this a little bit more, but people who don't necessarily fit in one category or another. And um, I really delight in making space for, for people who find that to be their, their reality. Thank you. Uh, digging in a little bit on writing and in, you had said also, uh, uh, as, as, or the way I heard it, kind of processing uh, chronic pain. And I am, uh, if you want to talk about that specifically, uh, that's, that's great. I know one of the things I am really interested in, and it's, 
it's a theme, I guess, as I've been doing the podcast, but uh, just writing as a, a form of reflection and uh, introspection, really like a way of processing what it, what is going on. And I seen it as more and more important as a, you know, kind of a, just ref- reflecting on our, our own self or knowing ourself. Uh, why did you start writing about pain? Because I needed to understand it a little bit better. Um, I needed to understand if it was, if I was pain, if my body was pain, if I was doing it, um, if it was something that was happening to me. Um, so often, you know, for me, my, my, um, I had a really healthy life. I was, I was, um, I was well until all of a sudden one day I was not. And so that really sharp turn, um, it, it forced me to investigate. And, uh, for me having chronic pain, it was this sharp pain for a sharp twist from one day I was fine. The next day I wasn't. And then it was just from here on out. Um, so my entire identity had was it shifted when, when pain came into my life and, um, I had to reinvent my, my career and my identity and, you know, in, um, relationship to my family and my partner and all, all of these things, um, they were forced to, to become new. And, um, so writing was a way for me to, to dig into that. It was, there was some therapy in there. Um, there was also, you know, I've, I've been on a journey. I started writing, um, a a book about, about pain and I'm kind of in the final stages of that right now, trying to get it published, but it's, um, it's given me a chance to, to try and find truth, which is a hard thing to do when you're still living in something to extrapolate truth from, (laughs) from a situation that's ongoing. Um, but it's also allowed me to see, you know, early on when, you know, 10, 15 years ago, when people said, we don't know why you're in in pain, I just sort of accepted that as like, oh, well, doctors don't know, you know, like, it's this great mystery of the body in the world. And now, you know, several years and research later, I'm able to look at that and say, do you not understand you know, why I'm in pain, because we don't have proper funding to do research on chronic pain conditions, especially pain conditions that um, are focused on women's bodies or people with female female anatomy, um, you know, or that the, the research isn't there, the money's not there, we don't do, you know, sex differentiation and to test trials. And so I'm, I'm curious, and I'm questioning things now that I didn't before. And um, had I not written you know, been writing on this for so many years, I wouldn't have gotten to this place. Thank you. Uh, through, through that process, I'm curious because you, you know, your, your, your book, as far as a, a piece of work is, is pretty much done, right? It was what, uh, and some may argue works never done, right? But uh, at this stage, what, what were some big insights for you or, or any surprises along the way on, on kind of processing all these different perspectives that you mentioned? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know what, I think what I tried to do is I tried to understand what I think pain is and to, to look through, as I, as I said, medicine, theology, and philosophy. And I'm actually like by training a, a, a trained theologian, which is a kind of a weird thing. Um, and there aren't, there are like four of us out there. There aren't many, um, which again, kind of like, I'm not a, pastor like I just really like theology I didn't grow up in this world or anything but I um I try to understand how how this idea of pain has has 
just mutated over time from you know being this thing that was like is it a demon is it like a are you being cursed by god is it like you know a mental disorder is it hysteria like is it um you know it's philosophy so is it you know everybody in the world has pain it's you know this is just your way of understanding your place in it or stoicism like there's just so many different ways to try and understand this thing that we all have in one way or another it's pain is in our bodies it's in our our society and our families like pain is just something you cannot escape um and if you think you can you're wrong it's coming for you <laughs> so um so we need to investigate it and find ways to to like be more empathetic with each other and with ourselves inside of that thank you yeah empathy was one of the big words that was going through my head as you were as you were talking about that because from my my perspective and this this might just seem so pedestrian based on your work but what i find interesting is pain seems to be so um internal like it's in in many ways hard to describe you know that whether like it is it pain tolerance or has somebody had the same type of pain and so i've i've always thought it being uh interesting to uh almost lacking empathy even though i know it's but even like on a on a scale of one to ten how you know when you're when you're told to do that and well it's only relative to my experience right i it i i can't tell you that you know this is this my seven today is the same as uh you know some normative or criterion reference database that you have and so i find find the notion of empathy really interesting especially as I get older and, you know, noticing some, some things that maybe uh, you know, I took for granted in the past. And then just, I think it's another way of reminding us that, that everybody is fighting their own fight and yeah. to be sensitive to that. But um, any, any thoughts on, uh, I know it's so ham-fisted the way I'm talking about it, but just that it is such a, it seems like it's, it's such an internal way of framing and describing and and i know when we do get new words for it it's helpful but from a comparative set like even when you were looking at research or even based on on sex or gender mm -hmm. you know we we don't investigate that but it just to me sounds a philosophically and from a design perspective a big challenge absolutely i mean that's such a part of it um that language barrier and um I, you know, Elaine Scarry says in, in, in her book, she has this phenomenal text on pain that um, the um, unshareability is the word that she uses is such an important part of pain that it's actually part of the design of pain. Um, <clears throat> and again and again, writers and philosophers come back to this idea that there's something inherent about the fact that we can't measure pain it's not a vital sign it's not something that we have ways you know we have pain scales but those only measure from point a to point b and pain is not point a to point b it's colors and ranges and you know years and days and there's all kinds of things that go inside of this um so the language that surrounds pain is absolutely of interest to me um and it's something that i spend a lot of time um uh, wrestling with um even on my own you know i've said before that i think that um when when this when this is finally out and people start to see a little bit more of what my personal experience of pain is i actually think the people closest to me might be most surprised um because you um i think when you when you live with pain you 
or at least in my experience, um, I'm very good at, um, uh, I figured out how to live with it, which means people don't always know. And I don't always want to talk about it. And sometimes I don't. And like, I'm a good conversationalist and I can get around, you know, without yeah. people knowing about it. So um, there's something about the language that surrounds it that's both really inadequate and absolutely part of what makes it like a saving grace of pain that you don't have the language. It's just yours. Thank you. Yeah, and and again, the the notion of language and labels is something that always interests me uh, in all kinds of categories, especially these really complex ideas when we try to express them. Is um, you know, it's in in many ways language is so enabling, and and when we get uh, new new understanding or new words, uh, or for me, I always get excited about uh, kind of idiomatic language from other cultures when you hear how they they express a condition. But then at the end of the day, it also still feels like it is frustrating that it's it's not quite precise enough or it's and so I, I have this love hate relationship sometimes with with labels in that it's uh, it's pretty good, uh, but it doesn't quite it's especially on on nuanced uh, topics where it could almost I feel like sometimes I feel like maybe I'm a toddler or a stroke victim where I can't quite communicate. I know it's there. I just can't access it. And it's one of the things that always fascinates me with, with language and beyond pain with some of your genre stuff. I feel like there's a lot of interesting things that you, you dig into on, on language and labels. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, you know, this, this bleeds into what we were talking about before. I, um, I don't fit very well in, in boxes and I'm, I'm, um, somebody who, you know, because I, I had this experience with, with pain that started in my mid twenties and kind of knocked me off the path of where I thought I was going. Um, I had, I had studied English, um, in, in my undergraduate degree. And like at the tail end of, of that, I, I found this passion of like English and geography and people in place and like how that how those stories all come together and that you know led me into this idea of literature and theology and I was pursuing the like this tangential geography and literature and theology and I wanted to see how these three all played together um, and how they influenced life and story and um, I got sick and I I, ha I got derailed from from that path and when I emerged, you know, 10 years later, kind of on the other side of feeling like, okay, I can start to rebuild a, some semblance of a life, um, I found out that I didn't really, I didn't fit there anymore. That actually wasn't what I was interested anymore in as much anymore. Yeah. There's, you know, bread trails that go back right. to it, but um and I, I I felt like I didn't fit in my mid thirties and my friends and my, my peers were all light years ahead of me in their careers. And I didn't know where I was because nothing fit those identities that I had built for myself and grown into. Um, they had really fallen apart and, um, I was able then, I think, to realize there was, I don't, and I wish I had a better story about this, that there was a lightning moment, but there wasn't. It was just a slow building, which I think is actually very accurate to how things happen in life. But um, I was able to realize that, like, this not fitting anywhere is a huge asset. And it's something that is to my advantage and is 
way more common than I thought it was. Um, so many of my friends feel like they don't fit in their categories of work or in their, you know, the labels that are given to them um, in one way or another. And I, I feel like I've, I've been able to embrace that idea that if, you know, if, if you can, we, we've talked about this before, if you can embrace that, that slash in your title that I am a writer slash editor slash publisher, like, you just have access to so many other things um, in, in, in your own creative pursuits. Um, so yeah, I'm, I am interested in both personally and kind of professionally in the, in the world that I create around me, having space for, um, for people who, who don't necessarily want to, um, be just, um, in one lane. Yeah. Thank you. And I, uh, I was just, as you were talking about, you know, your, your interest too, and the relationship between theology, philosophy, geography and in English language uh I was just thinking that could be a pretty interesting Venn diagram experiment to like where you know <laughs> the the different overlaps and then like kind of the 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 heat map kind of the hottest point dead center on what might be there um with your your interest in English just kind of going back to your undergraduate journey too uh what what attracted you to to English or writing Oh, I just wanted to read books. <laughs> I remember having a friend who stumbled into uh, the English an English degree later in um, college, and she's like, "Wait, so you just read books and talk about them?" I'm like, "Well, yeah, kind of." <laughs> you know, and this was you know almost 20 years ago that I was at the at the university here, and uh, I do wish I had had a little bit more of a, a career plan um, uh, on the other side of that. Um, but I just, I just wanted to read books and, and write about them and talk about them. Like that just was a really, I was a super awkward, quiet kid. And I, that had been my happy place, uh, for so long. And, um, I just, I just dragged that out as long as I could. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, want to dig in a little bit on, uh, Brink. So Brink officially launched, uh, last month. Uh, can you, uh, you and I have talked about it a little bit, but if you don't mind for listeners on uh, both the where the name came from and the the focus of the the journal. Absolutely. So Brink is a literary journal, like you just said, and we are really focused on creating space for hybrid and cross genre work. And we're interested in uh, promoting the work of creatives who um, either by by their identity, by the kind of the people that they are or the work that they do sort of falls outside of traditional artistic communities and disciplines. So what we are interested in is finding ways to, to celebrate the voices and um, kind of some interconnected work uh, that, that you might not find other places. Um, one example of that uh, in this, this first issue that we have is uh, we have a, a Twitter thread from Alyssa, Alyssa Washuda and um, her book just came out you know a week or so ago and this was a, a thread that she had wanted to get into the book and it didn't quite fit in there but it was like actually just a, a live tweet thread of her being at a magician's conference um, and kind of trying to understand some, you know, some things about wonder and magic and grappling with this, but they're all in tweet form. And our, our designer, Stacia, who's phenomenal, she was able to like, she used the Twitter font and like all these things. So 
um, we have we have all different kinds of of genres. We have um, poetry and art and visual art and nonfiction and fiction. Um, and we also have this category of what we call evocations. Um, and if you haven't heard of it, it's okay. It's because we made that up. Um, and that's just a container for us to, to really play. Um, it's a space for correspondence and portraits and all these different um, container is the word I'm going to use again, but like these spaces for, for people, we can, we can approach creatives that we know and say, Hey, what are you working on? Do you have anything that, uh, that you, you are having some energy, some heat towards right now that, that you want to publish anything that maybe doesn't fit in your other category of work? What's, what's bringing life to you right now? Um, and that's, that's what we're, we're trying to do. And yeah, the name, the name Brink, um, again, just really goes back to that idea of being on the edge and sort of playing in the the margin and um i've always felt you know this is again very personal but just like i i'm a bit of a margin person and but i also think that's where a lot of really interesting stuff happens and that's where a lot of creative ideas happen you know when you're reading a book and you and something catches your eye that's where you put your exclamation point that's where you make your own note of something you want to follow up with later um and so that's that idea of being on the brink on the edge between two places um, you know, I, I wanted Brink to be a place for um, people who their professions and their passions didn't always align. And um, I think that we're doing that. Yeah, thank you. And I, uh, I've been working my way through the first issue. And thank you for getting that to me. Uh, the I really, really appreciated your your introduction uh, in the first, uh, issue and, and the, the framing therein. I thought that was, that was great. And, um, you know, my, my first pass too, was actually just flipping through it. And, uh, just I, sometimes I, I guess that's the way I approach a lot of books too. And, and as, as I tend to scan first, oh, yeah, but, absolutely. but mm -hmm. I loved, I loved all the, the visual art that's in there as well. And, uh, so I, I, yeah, I'm I'm really excited about uh, uh, what you and the team are, are working on here. Yeah, the the visual art is a really fun component of this. Um, so Stephanie Dowda Demir is the uh, apropos of the, the yeah. <laughs> Iowa idea visiting uh, professor here at the university, and um, she's just a phenomenal person and is really um, I've I've so loved watching her champion. Um, all different kinds of artists and bring them to the table and say, Hey, look at what this person is doing. Hey, look at what this person is doing. I want to see how these two interact when we put them together. Um, and so she, that's, that's her, that's her bringing that into the stage. It's been really fun. Thank you. And uh, you've, you've been involved in the, the, the creative and arts community in Iowa city for, for quite some time. Uh, do you, do you mind telling me, I know that you were part of the Strength and Grow Evolve campaign, which I just thought was, uh, as an outsider, I just thought it was a fantastic campaign. Uh, do you mind talking about your experience with that? Yeah, absolutely. So I've lived in Iowa City almost all my life. I had a little bit of time where I did graduate school elsewhere, but um, most of what I know is here. And I, a lot of people have heard me say this because I said it time and again during that campaign that I, I really do believe that we are responsible for creating the place in which we want to live. And I take that seriously. So it matters to me to be involved in these different parts of my community 
Um, and the Strength and Grow Evolve campaign really grew out of, I'm a, I'm a board member for Film Scene, um, and I was invited to come on that team. And um, it, my, my role transitioned as the needs of the campaign transitioned. Um, and I, I got to work with this team of aces and all of, you know, almost all of whom you've had on this, this podcast. Um, and they're all people who, who employ that slash in their title of, you know, they are, um, you know, Andre is the director of the Angler and he's a writer and Katie is the development director and, um, you know, a musician and Andrew is the director of filmmaker and a filmmaker. So we've got all these, um, all these different things that people are doing in the community, but, um, I really loved working with Strength and Grow Evolve and being able to have conversations with people in the community about why the arts matter, why having um, theaters and spaces in our community that are devoted to, um, to the exploration of the arts and that are accessible um, to everybody in the community, why that, why that matters. Um, and it's not an uncomfortable thing for me to talk about the fact that we need money to do that. Um, and that that's something that we get to make those decisions as a community. So here we go. <laughs> right on. One of, one of the words that I want to dig in on a little bit too, as you, you mentioned, being intentional about, you know, where we live. And I know that's, that's a really big, important word, both in the design and innovation space as well. And so a lot of what I'm hearing, kind of my mental model, also when you were talking about, uh, Brink as well as kind of what I, I would describe the messy edge. Uh, and that's where usually a lot of the cool innovation happens as well. And uh, one of the things I'll say too, it's interesting as you talked about the team members and embracing the slash is that um, when it comes to really complex problems, we know that more diverse teams solve problems better. Uh, and, and when you have those slashes, I think it's, it's, uh, not only is it easier to avoid a roll rut, right? You can you can kind of hand off based on the need or or adjust. But one of the things that I'm I've found professionally from a problem solving perspective is then you have so many different uh, you know go back to mental models, but you have different models and systems to draw on, right? Oh, this this is how this problem is approached or dealt with here uh, from from movie making from writing to to business to biomimicry this is these are how these systems have handled these problems and i've always thought that uh it, it's really good to have uh slashes on your teams when you're dealing with kind of a, a messy space absolutely you know i've seen that time and again too where especially with um with freelance work but also with uh, my role on the strength and grow evolve campaign was something that i i actually didn't have much experience with before. I had the instinct for it, but I didn't have the training for it. And um, I think that that can actually be hugely beneficial. And I think this is to your point that when I come into a room and I am curious about what's happening and I'm asking a lot of questions, that gives me more information than going into the room and being the expert. <laughs> and, you know, as I, I do freelance writing and editing, and oftentimes my, you know, my, um, my mentor, one of the women who had got me involved in, the, in writing, she had said to me, one of the great things that she loved about freelance writing was that you walk into a situation and you get to like explore this world for 
two or three hours, two or three days, whatever it takes. And then you get to step out of it again. And you do that, you know, you, you weave your way through these different ideas or what it, what it may be. Um, and I, I feel like I'm, I'm trying to do that in my community as well. I'm trying to do that in, you know, through Strength and Grow Evolve, through I'm involved in the downtown district. And, um, you know, there's some other human services places that I'm involved with in the community. And I'm trying to intentionally create that place um, that matters to me and be, I'm okay being the outsider in, in all of those groups. Um, I think it, it adds perspective. Thank you. And uh, so have you always been interested in uh, community and the intentionality about the community you want to live in? Or was there, is that, is that something that's evolved, so to speak, over time? I think it's evolved. I mean, so much of what I know is just based here in Iowa City. I've, I've traveled, I've lived other places. Um, but s- the the core of what I know is Iowa City. And it, it's not the same town that I grew up in when I was a kid. We came here in, I don't know, 81 or 82 when I was really little. Um, and, you know, we, my family was part of the university family, which was kind of different than like Iowa City families. Like they're <laughs> growing up in the, in the 80s and 90s, things were a little bit more um, divided between in the community here. And um, so I, I appreciated, I remember going to lectures when I was little and, you know, like tagging along and being in the, involved in, in things in the community, but I didn't understand, I didn't have a role in it. I was a participant. Um, and so I think that's something that, that has, that I've grown into um, and that I've especially learned to, to realize that I, I, I have, and I can play a role in, in creating the place that I want to be in. So it was the university that brought your family here? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. My dad was a professor at the university. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what department? Um, educational psychology. Oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Strong yeah. program here. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. He was made, his, made a great career here. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, oh, that's great. Um, so one of, one of the things I'd like to, to cover with guests too is, um, from a creative perspective, the notion of feeling stuck, if you do feel, do you have, do you have tools or techniques for getting unstuck? Yes. <clears throat> well, I think very specifically, I go for a walk <laughs> immediately. Uh, if you live near me, you will see me walking very slowly around the block with my dog kind of making weird faces and you'll see me like using it in my hands because I'm trying to work through a sentence or I'm trying to work through an idea or you'll see me like whip out my phone and take a note real quick. Um, so I, I get up and move um, when I'm, when I'm like actually feeling stuck in the moment. Um, I do try to have conversations with other creatives about about craft um, and about where where I'm at with things. I have a fantastic writing group um, that I've, there are just four of us and we've been writing together for four years. And once a month, one person brings their work to the table and we all read it and talk about it. And um, I, I wouldn't say critique, that's too hard. We are, um, we are encouragers and cheerleaders and we want each other to succeed. So we, um, we, we are there for support <laughs> and, and I mean, they're, brilliant kind women and so there is inevitably critique and um your work grows as a part of that but um outside of that group too i've been in i've i've tried to 
just say to people, yeah, I'm working on this, this essay and it's, I can't figure out how to get from here to here. And sometimes just talking about it. Um, I think we forget that we can just talk about, about creating these things and it doesn't have to be formed and doesn't have to be finished. We can, as creatives, I think we need to just employ that a little bit more. Thank you. Uh, so thinking about your, uh, your, your writing group, how, how did that come together? I, I always love when there, there's groups of uh, uh, supportive creatives helping each other out, but how did, how did your group come together? Oh, I'm pretty sure I just said, we should do this. Um, my, some of my close friends uh, like to call me an instigator because I'm very good at saying, hey, you know what? I've got an idea. Like, you know what we should do? Um, and I'm, you know, I, I don't specifically remember, but I think it was me just reaching out to one person and saying, hey, I want to do a writing group. How about you and me? And do you know anybody else? Okay, great. Four of us. Awesome. Let's go. Um, <laughs> I think that's, I think it just started like that. But I, you know, I do this other fun thing that um, has brought a lot of, of life to my world um, where I liked, I've, I partnered with a good friend of mine, Heidi, she's a ceramicist and we, every year we host, um, we host a show, an art show in my house, in my living room. And we bring in three or four other people who are, you know, creative craft people in the world doing their own thing. And then I buy food and wine and open my front door and hundreds of people stream through my house and they buy <laughs> artwork for other friends. And I, I just, I love coming up with these new ideas of things that people aren't doing that fills a need in the lives of people that I care about or in my community. And that, that brings me life. <laughs> I, I love it. Uh and uh, kind of going back to to walking as a notion of getting unstuck, um, a friend of mine uh, who she she works with teaching uh, people and helping their craft on public speaking and mm -hmm. you know and developing uh, their their signature talk. And I know uh, one of the big tips that she has too is walk with it. Um, and for her, it's both not only you know just getting away from pen and paper getting away from keyboard but it's also embody you're embodying the talk but also getting the brain and you know the blood flowing the oxygen moving and and change just literally changing your perspective on something and and i've i found it interesting too with other guests how something seemingly so simple as a walk or getting away can be so helpful yet i think Sometimes when we're stuck, we can't even see a way out. So I really, really appreciate the the notion of of walking. That's great. Yes. And uh, I feel like I feel like you buried the lead, though. Uh, what kind of dog do you have? <laughs> He's an Australian Shepherd um, mix of some kind. I'm not entirely sure. We got him about a year ago. So like everyone else, we got a pandemic dog and. <laughs> Uh, I'm new to this. I'm yeah. learning everything and it's great. He has a lot of fun. Oh, that's yeah. No, that's great. I, uh, we, we have a, uh, a pit bull Jack Russell mix. <laughs> that's quite the combo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, uh, he was not a pandemic dog. He, but he was a, he was a rescue dog. So we still get to check that Iowa city box. Uh, but yeah, I, <laughs> My wife was walking the dog recently and somebody just commented that that dog looks like it was built by committee. 
that's fantastic. It, it, it fits, but it's not the kindest thing I think to say when somebody's walking by with their dog. No, you say that when they've passed. <laughs> note, note to self. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'd like to talk a little bit more uh, too about, uh, and this this overlaps with with Brink, but the notion of genre and um, for for me, and so I'll just put my cards on the table, and you can just say no, that's stupid, or if it fits. But for me, what I find interesting in genre, and when I think about genre, I'm thinking about maybe styles of writing or or music as categorization or or film. Right, what type of movie is this, or what genre is that in? But I've always found uh, what's interesting for me in genre is how much of it can serve a purpose to help you understand, like give you a general direction. Uh, you know, almost a redundancy aspect, but then the novelty on when some 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 piece of work it still has to do something new or different, or it's just the same thing over and over again. And then I get stuck with even that that initial that initial primacy effect of we've labeled it this. So, mm-hmm. you know, does that that help or hurt? But I'm always interested in in generic labels, and I, I don't know if you you care to share your your thoughts or feelings on labels of genre or how genres uh, work in in the arts. I really value both. Um, every year, I go with a group of friends to the Sundance Film Festival in Park City. We've been doing this for, you know, over a decade and we we get a house and we watch like a lot of movies and we drink a lot of whiskey and we have a lot of great conversation. Um, and one of my most favorite things to do is to walk into the theaters blind, like to just not even know what I'm going into. I don't know if it's a documentary. I don't know if it is, um, you know, a, I have no idea what I'm going into. And and I love that because I have to figure it out. And I love films that like drop me in and, and I don't know where I am and I have to figure it out as I'm going. I do not like that experience in literature. I want to know in literature if I'm in a nonfiction piece or if I am in fiction like I I want to know and so I think I think that the medium for me the medium can dictate what I need um and I like that I have those different approaches um and I I, you know I think if we were to to widen the lens even further you know talking about different forms of art I would I I, we come into it with, with what we need and what we bring to the table. Um, I also think that, you know, maybe for film, there's something about having, you know, you're, you're in a space, literally you're in this box and you're there for two hours. And there's something about like you, you're just there for the experience and you get to show up on the other side. But, you know, sometimes with literature, it, it might be a longer piece or a longer, you know, like you just, Maybe it's an emotional thing of where we where we come in or an intellectual or uh, I, I don't know what it is. But for me, I, I know enough about myself to know that I like um, having different approaches. Thank you. Yeah. And this I don't know for you as a parent, if this this shifted. But for me, I, I noticed that the <laughs> the films that I watched, uh, the available time I had for movies really shifted from. <laughs> what I would what I was paying attention to but kind of the uh the salad days of when I lived in Minneapolis and I was actually talking to Andrew about this was 
you know, I lived near the uptown area and there was the uptown theater and then the lagoon. So there was screens of lots of independent film. And yeah. And sometimes I would go just, Oh, the, maybe the title sounds interesting, or I'm just going to go watch a movie and, and see what happens. But, but now I've become a lot more protective of my time and I, it feels kind of frustrating because I feel like I, I don't have as much, uh, energy or space uh for for exploration like oh this is my, this is my two hours i've dedicated to this movie yeah. uh, that's a great point absolutely i think that you know and and i'm okay with this that it can go both ways it can either it can help or it can hinder it you know that that idea of of genre of telling people and you know in, in brink we do that we in the upper right hand corner at the start of every piece you're going to find a category you're going to find if it's fiction if it's nonfiction, and we, we do identify um probably just because you know that's something that, <laughs> that that i that i need as a as a reader um but i i think that it changes um it, or it has the potential to change what you how you experience this this story or this world um but i hear that that you know i think our expectations um that we bring to the, the page or the screen um that that really plays into what we're going for and you know you had asked earlier about differences in my my role as as a writer versus you know as an editor and a publisher and i think that I, I do try with with Brink to think through like what's the reader experience like what's it going to be like if you're coming in cold and you don't know what this is um, you know especially on some of these pieces that um, that are hybrid in nature um, they are a little bit funky and you don't you don't always know where they start or where they end you need a little bit of help you need someone to just maybe point you in the right direction and push and then you can experience it for yourself. Thank you yeah and I'm always. Uh, curious on uh, the role and impact of the curator, uh, because just what happens and these are uh, like if they're objects, these are two different objects, right? Whatever the essays or pieces of work or, or you know visual art that we might see in a museum, but then when they're put together or or put in a volume or or put in an exhibition, what then? What does it mean when we start to like how they they start to give meaning to each other? I think also becomes interesting between different artists and and the the audience member absolutely yeah that's been um that's been a joy that i've uncovered i mean we've we've only we've only published one issue but yeah. we are hard at work on our second issue but i um you know there's there's a lot that goes into publishing a journal and i've i've found some of the real sweet spots are that that process of of curating and of thinking through how is this going to how is this piece going to um, you know, work well, play nicely with this next piece, or what needs to happen for the overall flow? How do we need to, you know, go from start to end on this? How do you pick a topic? Uh, and and if you want to share the the next volume's topic, that's great. But I I know you had you had you had said what it is. I saw you you stated what what it is. I'm I'm curious too on. And, and I know you were you were incredibly open when you said, and it's what it means to to you as you put that out there. But when you you pick a topic area, how how do you come to that that decision? Yeah. So the first issue is the theme is desire, and we're really we were interested in work that played with 
being on the brink of desire. So that's kind of the play that we, we work with. Um, and we're very interested in work that plays on the edges and keeps going, you know, we don't want something that looks straight ahead at the topic, you know, at desire, whatever it may be. Um, that's just less interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, we want to know what happened, like, what does the death of desire look like? What precedes desire? How do you know, like, wh why does it matter? All these other things that are so much more interesting than the head-on look at it. Um, and so the first desire was something that just as a team, we're like, hey, <laughs> what do we want to do? What sounds good? Um, and so we we chose that as, as a team. Um, looking forward, issue two, the theme is trouble. So on the brink of, of trouble. And again, looking at this idea of how do you know when you're outside of it? How do you know what, are, you know, why do we always say you're in or out of trouble? What does that even mean? What's the edge of it? Um, so that's issue two. And then, you know, looking forward, we do have, um, issue three, uh, our theme is going to be currency. So on the brink of currency, um, really looking at ideas of, uh, you know, back and forth and trade and what, um, you know, what <laughs> NFTs, I don't know, like whatever <laughs> needs to happen at, at that point. Um, and beyond that, you know, we just, uh, are, are choosing themes that are of interest to us as an editorial team. Yeah, those are great. I mean, it, uh, the the notion of trouble, especially the way that you're handling it with Brink, I love that. Like, it, you know, like that it's not simply uh, kind of this this binary in or out of trouble, but uh, even what defines trouble uh, and what kind of trouble and um, and then currency. I love I love the idea of currency because I play a lot with the ideas of of social currency or idea currency too, and and a value exchange and and perceived value and and what that does to to folks to um even like on an economic side or or um consumer side right is um you know there were, I, I wish i could remember who did the the study and it might be apocryphal but i think it's real uh i'd like to believe it's real anyways but that like the american wine palette is is really unrefined and so it it's it's based on the cost of the bottle that we judge the value of that wine, right? It's like, and uh, so yeah, a lot of times you'll hear people say, oh, I'm looking for a $20 bottle of wine. I'm looking for a $30 bottle of wine rather than here's what I like about it or here's here's what gives me pleasure when I have wine. So uh, yeah, that, that idea of currency sounds like that could be a really rich, fun, <laughs> rich, but a really fun area to play with. I think so. I think it will be. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, one of the uh, things that I like to cover with guests a lot is the notion of advice. And um, sometimes that could be in the form of mentorship. It could be maybe something when we were younger, you know, something an elder, a wise elder told us, but maybe they sounded crazy at the time, but we start to unpack what they told us and it, it then it seems great. Or uh, I steal from Austin Cleon, steal like an artist, where he says, when we're giving advice, we're just talking to our younger self. Uh, for you, any advice for, for listeners? Uh, I like to come back to the old adage of writer's right. And I think uh, that really translates, especially into this world that I'm in right now, where I encounter a lot of people who 
uh, you know, I used this phrase earlier, their, their passions and their professions don't always align. And imposter syndrome is real. <laughs> My good friend and I talk about it a lot, that it, it, sometimes it just, you feel like you're making shit up all the time until you, you know, you get to a phase, but writers write and, you know, artists create art and chefs, you know, cook and like all these things, you just, you just do it and you worry less about the label. And I think it can be a scary thing to claim that like capital W writer, but um, once you do, you know, like you just, you writers write and, you know, you creatives create, like you just do it, stop thinking about it and just do it. <laughs> I didn't mean to say just do it, but yeah, I think <laughs> no, I, I, I really appreciate that. And um, some friends of mine that do a lot of work in the behavioral science space, um, in, in just in more of an ethical practice or positive psychology kind of way, what I've found interesting, and it's, it's new to me, but you had said, um, you know, using that label as a writer and instead of like an imposter syndrome, like positively say, as, as a writer, I will do blank or because I'm a writer. And, and I've, I've heard some positive stories about people just claiming that space. So as a musician, I would do this. Um, whether that's to practice, rehearse, uh, and to your point, just do, right? Um, Stephen McDonald, who was on, he, you know, and he was approaching it more from a, you know, kind of cap captaining a, a championship team. But, you know, one of his quotes is uh, uh, nothing, nothing cures fear faster than action. Yeah. And yeah, jumping in and doing it. I'm curious as a writer, do you have a regular routine that you like to keep from whether it's a notion of morning pages or is there a time of day when it's you're you're best with your thoughts and being able to express those or is it just when it happens it happens oh no it's absolutely scheduled okay <laughs> I, uh, I as early as i can get up i will be writing um i i'm a single mom and so i often get up before my kids are awake and try to get a couple hours in um so that's and, and it's not always you know consistent you know right now my my i have my energy is going elsewhere but um when i'm writing when i'm in that that phase um as early as i can get up <laughs> I am, I'm writing. I'm done by noon. Like nothing good comes out after noon. So. Do you, do you, do you get into a state of flow? Like if, uh, is it, can you sometimes lose, lose a sense of time? Like I, like an hour just flew by sometimes when you're assuming you don't have any other things pulling you like that. It's almost that like you look up and you're like, Oh, I, I felt like I just sat down and you realize that you've been mm -hmm. cranking away at something for a while. You know, I don't, and I don't because my body doesn't let me do that. Um, just that's one of the interesting intersections of having a body that hurts all the time and yeah, having, yeah. You know, being in the stage of producing work. Um, I'm 100% aware of how my body feels all the time. I don't choose that. I don't, I wish right. that wasn't the case, but that's yeah. my reality. And so um, I just can't sit for that long. <laughs> I can't be, I can't be that, that, that in the zone, but I, I, I do stay focused. I am good at that. I'm, I'm very, I'm disciplined and um, I do carve out, I'm good at carving out spaces, whether it's, you know, a few hours here or three days here or whatever it may be. Um, I can carve that out and then be gentle with myself inside of that. Awesome. Uh, one, one thing I forgot to ask too, just when you were talking about your, your love of books and reading, do you have, do you have a go-to book or go-to author that, uh, that you return to like that j just gives you joy or comfort? Oh man. Um, 
probably such a hard question, but I do. Um, you know, I, I really love um, Carol Masso. Uh, she is, she's a little, she's not as well known um, of an author, but she writes this hybrid nonfiction, which is the, the type of work that I like to do as well. Um, I think she, she teaches, she may be retired now from, from Brown University. Um, so she does fantastic work and I find myself going back to her um, again and again, um, Maggie Nelson, anything that, that she writes, um, you know, Bluets was something that was very influential to me um, starting out. Um, so those are, those are a couple of the ones that I, I find myself going back to. Um, I also, um, every, every year I read Unmovable Feast um, by Ernest Hemingway, you know, in, in the spring. And I feel like I, I need that. It's part of my part of my annual life is to read that <laughs> that's one of the ways you mark the seasons i do i yeah. do because it's such a it's so specific about the the changing of seasons in life so <laughs> i i really appreciate that yeah and i because i i have conversations with friends where i struggle with with it could be restaurants it could be travel uh movies books and this for me, it's it goes back to similar to genres, but novelty and redundancy is like sometimes when I'm making this choice. Um, oh, that's one of my favorite restaurants. I'd love to go there, but I also want to explore. Or even with travel, is I have limited time and travel budget. Do I want to go back to Paris or do I want to explore something, you know, completely different? And sometimes I feel that way with books too. Is there are some books that I just absolutely, and even going back again and 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 just pulling so much more out of it but it's uh so i do i'm always curious too when there's authors or people that folks go back to so i really appreciate you sharing that the movable feast was a bit of a surprise for me uh, Hemingway <laughs> does, he doesn't seem to fit with the other like you know one of these is not like the other <laughs> yeah that's how i roll <laughs> <laughs> oh that's great <laughs> Nina, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It's it was a pleasure having you here and just want to thank you for all that you're doing for for our artistic and creative community here and 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 beyond Iowa City. I know you do a lot for our community, but also the work that you're you're producing uh for the world. I absolutely love it. Oh, well, thanks so much. This is this is fantastic and I I'm grateful for what you're doing. Man, what a what a roster to be included <laughs> into. So, thanks for doing this.